You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 105 for Monday the 5th of March 2018. And my apologies once again when I'm recording this and when I recorded the interview, I had a cold. My guest today is Holly Cave, a freelance writer who publishes articles and features about science for non-expert audiences. That's alongside her fiction work. Her debut self-published novel was called The Generation, and that was a sci-fi story set in the year 2052 and dealing with the topical subject of genetics. Before that, Holly wrote a number of unpublished works with her father on his typewriter in the 1990s. I met Holly a couple of years ago at the Alliance of Independent Authors Fringe event in London, and since then she's won a contract with Quirkus Books with her first traditionally published novel, The Memory Chamber, which was released on February the 22nd, 2018. When I caught up with Holly for the podcast, I started by asking her if she'd always aspired to be traditionally published over self-published. You know, it is. It's fascinating. Really, really fascinating. And a lot of what I loved about self-publishing, I said that in the past tense, but who knows? I may, you know, one day I'm not ruling anything out, might go back to it. I loved, you know, the self-discovery of it and being being your own person and a sole trader in the truest sense in that you know you have to go out there and discover it all for yourself and figure out what you want to do and make your own decisions and learn what you need to learn all by yourself and I I really liked that actually really really loved that and this is so different you know traditional publishing and I get these emails and I think I'm not entirely sure Mm. (laughs) what people are talking about here I have to ask for a lot of explanations about things still um so it's it's really different both you know, really, really enjoyable in different ways. Yeah, I feel quite kind of honoured, really, to have experienced both. And I think, yeah, both have their positives and negatives. So it's, yeah, it's just really interesting on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Well, I'm going to dig into those positives and negatives, but I should actually qualify because I did say this is the first time you've been traditionally published, but you do have um, a couple of other books out, which we must also acknowledge and mention, uh, the really, really big questions books. Now, just, just remind me, were they... Were they traditional? I can't remember the, the story of those. Um, I was. They were traditionally published, yes, um, by Pam Macmillan. Um, but I was kind of commissioned to write those. So uh, at the time, I was just coming to the end of my employment. I used to work at the Science Museum as a contemporary science content developer. And they, they were part of a series. I think they'd already done three or four. They'd done um, really, really big questions about philosophy and some other things. And we'd been working on an exhibition about um, about the human body, but more to do with genetics and brain science and what makes you the person you are. And they were quite interested in that. And so, yes, I was commissioned to write um, really, really big questions about science, which was a little bit to do with that, but also to broader broader things so that was kind of a straightforward commission so um i was sort of you know hired for the job um so yeah that was um yeah that was that was really great and so yeah traditionally i am a science writer so that was a lot more like my day job um but when i was working on that this idea of being you know a novelist of writing fiction 
um, and having it published or publishing it myself was 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 still a little bit of a pipe dream, really. So, were you paid a one-time fee for those books, or or do you get recurring royalties from those still? It was a one-time fee. I mean, I didn't have an agent or anything at the time. Um, I didn't really think about it too much. I just kind of saw it as an extension of my day job. Um, so I almost forget about them sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I sort of think um, that was a different person that wrote those and did that work. But um, I'm actually working on um, some new um, kids' science books at the moment. So it's really nice to be able to mix up that um, just kind of commission-based work and also fiction and non-fiction work. I really, really love getting to to get both of those in. And are those new books on a commission basis? Yes, they are. They are, yeah. Uh, so uh, presumably you have, uh, now you're a posh writer, you, you've got an agent, I assume, <laughs> now, have you? Yes, yeah, I got an agent, um, yeah, just over two years ago. Um, and yeah, she's brilliant, actually, really good, yeah. <laughs> Does she handle these new non-fictions? Because I, I'm just, the reason I'm probing into this is because you mm. said with the really, really big questions books, you were kind of on your own, you didn't really know what you were doing, whereas this time round, you, you've you got an agent getting involved. Mm. I'm just wondering what the agent is advising you compared to what you did last time, really. Um, well, she just handles my fiction work, so we don't really, we don't really discuss kind of my, my what, what I think of as my day job my science writing um so I think maybe part of it is I still it's kind of still nice just to have that thing where I just do it for myself it's you know my own the science writing is just my solitary pursuit and then maybe my fiction writing I can let everyone else get a bit more involved because it gets a bit more complicated but um yeah I'm really happy carrying on you know just the science writing based on based on commission. Yeah, that's something I'm happy with, really. So, yeah, I think it will just let it carry on that way. <laughs> and, and again, since I've known you, you've had some articles published in you know national newspapers and, and magazines and things like that. So, uh, you know, this isn't just a little bit of freelancing on the side, is it? This is proper journalism. Yes, yeah, I haven't done so much of it, really, for the past year or two. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's that I would... I'm still at that point where that's probably really my full-time job is kind of the science writing, science journalism. Um, and it's really good, actually. I think I think the non-fiction feeds my fiction and vice versa. Um, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of my ideas for my novels come from science. So I like having that crossover, and I like that they're both linked, but it's really interesting to keep them separate as well. It sort of feels like you've got a greater sort of portfolio of skills, I think. Now, the other thing is that you wrote a number of works that are unpublished on your uh, father's typewriter in the 1990s. So will they ever see the light of day, those? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> that's probably more of a joke than anything else. But my, my, dad, my dad was a writer. And, um, yeah, gosh, I remember the sound of that typewriter. To think now that he... Um, he wrote entire novels on that thing. Just, uh, yeah, amazes, astounds me. But, uh, yeah, I can remember the little ding at the end of the sentence and then watching him very carefully kind of, wasn't even Tipex, I don't think. I don't know what it's called, sort of that fluid, the white fluid that you use to um, make, you know, make mistakes, uh, go over mistakes and, yeah, crazy. But he used to, um, yeah, I used to sit next to him and, oh, we'll write a story today, Holly. Oh, okay, great. And um, we'd sort of write the story and he'd make sure he left little spaces in the page so that I could go back and draw some pictures to illustrate it. 
I actually don't know where they are. They must be at home somewhere in the attic, languishing away. But um, yeah, who knows? You know, maybe there's um, maybe the bestseller is still up there somewhere. <laughs> what was your dad writing, Holly? He, um, well, he, he he wrote novels, so he was um, in his younger years. In the oh, I don't know, I think it's probably the early seventies. He he wrote some really kind of cult cult fiction. Um, so he wrote chopper which if you ask if you're only bikers <laughs> serious bikers they will probably have read it um and there was a sequel to that as well so he was kind of he was quite well known really for a while with those books and um, they really broke out and they were a bit of a phenomenon and then yeah he was a journalist um a lot of my life and uh, yeah he wrote a lot of novels he wrote a lot of tv adaptation work so um he wrote kind of novels related to taggart and um, various different TV series. So, yeah, he was a bit like me, really. He wrote quite a lot of different things. And I think he always thought, you know, his um, his big book was still in him and he was still, you know, one day, <laughs> which maybe all, all writers are like that. <laughs> he was published by Quirkus as well, which uh, is who's published you. That must feel really yeah. nice. Yeah, I think he was published by Headline as well, who are the same, um, they're all under Ashet. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's strange. Yeah, very strange. It's very sad, actually. So we lost him a couple of years ago, just before I got my publishing deal. So it's quite, quite sad, really. Well, very sad that, you know, he's not here to see it, really. But um, he sort of he used to say to me, oh, you know, you'll be a writer. Yeah, you'll be a writer before I even really had expressed (laughs) a great wish to um between those years of working on his typewriter and um actually writing my first book there was uh, lots of other things that weren't, weren't involved at all with writing but but he always said to me i i think you will i think you will so i, th- I think he knew i would <laughs> this is fascinating scrolling through his um his amazon uh, pages there's all sorts in here it's very eclectic mix holly isn't it really eclectic very eclectic yes well, actually when i went traveling i was in new zealand and we walked into a random um i think it, was, it must have been a second-hand bookshop um i think in lake taupo somewhere like that and i was just kind of scanning along the shelves and there you go peter cave <laughs> so strange so strange to see um you know to see one of your dad's books on the other side of the world i think i, I rang him up and told him that night <laughs> I got to tell you, he's such a prolific uh, writer. This is quite amazing. Looking through this, um, what, what took you so long to get your first book out? I mean, with all that inspiration around you, it must have been. Um, you know, a lot of us feel that we can't write or publish. It's beyond us, and it's something that other people do. If you had this wonderful example, just you're sitting next to him um, doing it and getting things published, it must have really inspired you. Yeah, it did, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking to myself why I didn't just. Go, I always loved writing. I, I don't know why I didn't just go straight for it. Um, uh, yeah, as I say, I think I think to myself about that a lot, and I can't quite find the answer. I think I loved a lot of stuff at school. I was really, I mean, I loved science um, and technology. I was really into that, and I, I remember kind of having to narrow down my um, even even to A level. I found it. I did A levels, and I found it really hard to choose and. There was this whole period where, well, like, do I do English lit and language or do I do biology and chemistry? You know, which is it going to be? Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of teachers advised me to go with the sciences because they said, if you want to write, you can always write. But if you want to be a scientist, you can't come. Well, you can. You could go back and do your A-levels again, do a degree. But, you know, it'd be a lot more difficult. So I, I guess I kind of held that in my mind. Um 
and I kind of dallied over the years um, and I just I loved writing and I sort of always felt quite I mean not overly so but but kind of I felt I could write I I thought obviously it needed work but I sort of felt positive about my writing whenever I did it but um I just never really had the right idea I've got you know lots of a few chapters of a book and then I think oh, this is boring and put it away again and put it in a drawer but um so I think really it was and actually it's funny how life turns out because the, the two novels the one I've self-published and and the memory chamber which is being released um which is will be released now as we're talking um they're both inspired by science so so that was obviously you know that that was my journey so getting into that science gave me the ideas actually that I now use in in my fiction writing so yeah funny how things turn out so let's start with your uh, first self-published book, which is where I came in. Um, the mm-hmm. the generation was the book, and uh, so th- let's talk about how how long it took you to to write first that that first book. Yeah, so I started writing it in twenty ten, um, and and it was as I say, it was inspired. I'd been working at the science museum on a gallery that's still there, actually. If anyone wants to pop in and have a look, it's very good, very good. <laughs> It's called Who Am I? And it's all about genetics and brain science. And and it was so fascinating, such an amazing, it was a two-year project. So we spent a lot of time researching um, and interviewing people and just finding out this in, incredible stories about, you know, the real real edges of science and what might be possible and really mind-blowing stuff. And, I mean, it was just a melting pot, melting pot of inspiration. So much there you could write. You know, I have got lots of ideas that just come from that alone. Um, so I've been working on that, and that that wrapped up in 2010. So as I say, that's when I when I started writing the generation. Um, and around that time, although I said I was very inspired by my exhibition work, I'd kind of realised it wasn't for me. Um, and I was kind of thinking, no, I want to be a writer. So I was starting to go into that science writing field but also wanting to write fiction um so i quit my job and i went traveling for nearly a year during which time i finished that first draft of the generation um and then my dad actually comes back into the story Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he got in touch with um one of his old agents and and um, without my knowledge, which was a slight bone of contention at the time, sent him this um, first draft of the generation. And, well, to cut a long story short, he, he agreed to represent me at the time. Um, and this, this went on for a, f- a few years. <laughs> a few years. It was a very strange situation. Um, I, was, I was formally signed to that agent, and we did a lot of back and forth on editing it. I mean, goodness knows how many drafts there were in the end. I, I lost, I lost track. Yes, it was a, it, it, it was a strange time. That that particular agent was nearing retirement, and I just never really, we never got anywhere with it. He never submitted it. Um, <laughs> it didn't go so well. <laughs> to, to cut the story short, and then, and then, yeah, and then, I, and then I ended up publishing it in March 2015. Um, so yeah, it was five, yeah, five years, give or take, um, from, from start to finish on that, on that book. Okay. That takes a lot of patience, Holly. Five years. 
It does, doesn't it? But yeah, funny. Yeah, funny how time, funny how time passes like that. By the time it had been sort of edited, I know I've spoken to people uh, in, in who've had this sort of similar experience to you, where they've been to and fro forever, making edits on the book, mm. and then nothing comes of it. And I always say to them, but you could have got three books published at that time, self-published at that time, while you were, you know, wait, waiting for somebody not to do anything. Um, yeah. Do, do, you, do you feel that now that sort of sense of lost time that you could have been getting on with it, or uh, do you just see it as part of the journey? Um, I don't... Uh, I mean, if I was in that same situation... Well, I wouldn't be in that same situation now. I'm, I'm, I'm older and wiser, and I'd like to think I've got a bit more um, gumption, really, and wouldn't kind of stand for really what what I look back on is quite poor treatment really um and it was only really when I started looking into self-publishing actually that I really found kind of the get up and go again and the the drive really to sort of push myself forward until then I hadn't really felt that I had an option other than to be going backwards and forwards with this agent and tweaking this and tweaking that and getting someone else to look at it I didn't I didn't feel that I didn't know I guess I didn't know that there was another option so yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't happen again and I mean yes it it was it was a waste of time it was a waste of time but I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again (laughs) (laughs) so we we met at the Alliance of Independent Authors events you've gone for self-publishing did you feel at that time bearing in mind the amazing back catalogue that your dad's got uh, did you feel that it was second best self-publishing or did you just feel it was another option I think at first to be honest I did feel it was second best I I sort of felt you know it's you know it's obviously not really good enough to be published traditionally but but my my views did did massively change on that and and remain changed you know, from from my experiences with the self-publishing community and uh, and seeing the feedback to my work as well. So, yeah, my perspective definitely changed um, kind of after I self-published it hugely. You did a great job of it. I mean, it's got a lovely cover. I mean, when you look at the two books next to each other, you wouldn't say, oh, that one's self-published and that one's traditionally published. They look absolutely fine on the page together. They look the same, the same sort of quality. And, um, you know, inside your book is obviously good quality too. So... Um, how did you achieve that with the self-published book? Because, you know, usually people get the format all wrong on the first one and the cover's all the wrong sort of size. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I am still quite proud of it, actually. Um, well, I remember I hired um, a cover artist, which I'd sort of thought, you know, that is a very important part of it. I can only do so much, and I didn't really trust my my creative abilities. So yeah, so so that was great. Um, I did a lot of, I just did a lot of research on the formatting. I didn't particularly have anyone to help me with that. I had paid, um, I did pay a copy editor. Um, she did a structural edit, and that was brilliant, um, really good. And it it wasn't, you know, it, it's an outlay, it's an expense, but particularly for my first book it was it was just brilliant it was you know I'd never taken I'd never taken a create I still haven't taken any kind of creative writing class in my life so that was like a whole course of them just in one um just in one set of feedback so that yeah that that was really brilliant um and in terms of the formatting oh gosh I remember 
I do remember long nights in front of create space trying to sort it all out and um but I think when I was talking earlier about um that discovering it for yourself I was very focused on I didn't want to I know I didn't want I personally didn't want to pay anyone to do that for me I wanted to figure it out myself so that if I wanted to keep doing it if I wanted to do it again I had that knowledge um and I uh, yeah although as I say there were some trying moments I, I did really enjoy did really enjoy doing it and and figuring it all out from from scratch <laughs> you also went through the pain of getting an audiobook uh, recorded as well how did you find that experience ah well that was um actually well that was very strange so I, I published the generation as I said in um March 2015 and Later that year, I was really lucky um, because it was picked out in the bookseller. Um, I think in their indie, they have an indie picks. So, yeah, it was amazing. And, and um, Carolyn, Caroline Sanderson at the bookseller had written a short review of it. Um, and it looked fab in there. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, and as a result of that, I started getting all these emails from... Um, not not agents and not publishers, but from Audible was one of them, and also from TV and film people who, you know, I, I didn't hear anything back from in the end. Um, but, yeah, Audible contacted me, an agent at Audible, and she said, it sounds really good. We'd, we'd like to, you know, we're trying to expand our, our repertoire. We'd love to publish um, this as an audio book. And, yeah, so I signed a deal with them. So, actually my situation turns out my situation was quite unique um so I didn't they they recorded that and um and that was that and they yeah (laughs) it's actually quite a complicated story well more complicated um because they signed me for a two book deal so they also signed me for my next book's audio well this is now this is interesting now Uh yeah yeah (laughs) um and at the time I was nervous of that and as I say, you know, I didn't have an agent. Um, I didn't really have anyone t- to advise me on that. But it, it sort of felt like that was the first person who was really kind of, it was the first person who really said, you know, really offered me something and sort of supported me, I felt. So, um, yeah, so I went for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to interject. This is not for you. This is for people listening. But if you do get in a situation like that and you have a, a contract offer and you want to get advice on that, the Society of Authors will offer that as part of their membership. So um, this is just for people listening because it's quite a handy little yeah. um, service that um, because it is, you know, who knows where to start with contracts. How, how did you get out of that contract? Because uh, when you go into a traditional situation, are you then obliged to let them have the book? How did that work? Um, I am, yeah, I am, I am still in that contract actually. Um, and yeah, when I, when I did get my agent, um, that was a first for her. She hadn't come across, um, someone who had independently sold their audio rights. Uh, it turns out it was, um, (laughs) as it turns out, it did make it, um, considerably more difficult to get a publishing deal for all the other rights, particularly in the U.S., so, yeah, my current book still doesn't have a U.S. deal. And so that was that was something I considered at the time I signed the contract. Um, and my agent did try to get me out of that contract, um, but it didn't happen. Um, but, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And, 
yeah, that you know that that's 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 just how it is, really. So Audible have got this book that's just coming out as well, and then that's you mm-hmm. done your your deal, is it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Blimey. I bet that you have to, <laughs> this is the thing. But the thing is, is when you make the best decisions at the time, not believing that something as big as Quirkus is coming along. Uh, I suppose. No. No. Um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of, I try to be a yes person and, and sometimes that pays off and, and sometimes it doesn't so much, but you know, it was great having an audio book made of my first book. I, I probably wouldn't have gone to the, as you say, gone to the trouble of getting that all recorded and set up myself. So, so that was great. And, and as I say, they, they were, you know, they took a chance on me and yeah, hopefully <laughs> maybe it'll pay off for them. <laughs> How did the generation go, How, you know, in terms of sales? Did you feel that it uh, was successful? I mean, I don't know. I can't remember what I really, whether I really had aims, whether I really had I want to sell X number of books. I'm not sure that's something that ever really went through my head. I wasn't business-minded about it like that, um, whereas I probably would be more now. So I think I just felt I really want to do something with this. I don't want to just you know, shut it in a drawer and and come back to it in 20 years and think about what might have been. I just want to, I just want to produce something and I want to say, yes, um, you know, I'm proud of it and it's out there and people can read it. So I guess I didn't have any expectations and, and I didn't really know. I mean, I didn't really know how many copies could sell, would sell. I probably couldn't tell you how many <laughs> copies of it have sold overall. I mean, something I found with self-publishing was that promotion. I mean, I kept coming back to it again and again, and I know um, it's it's a bit of a it's a big topic in self-publishing. Is is how do you get your book out there? How do you get it seen by people? Um, especially, you know, it's my first book. It was kind of a one-off. It wasn't going to be a series. It was a little bit cross-genre. Um, so it didn't fit all that neatly into science fiction. It didn't fit all that neatly into thriller. It was like my new book. It's it's just sort of a little bit of both, really. And I found, you know, when I did promotions, you know, I'd sell sell books and and then I wouldn't do any, and it would kind of drop off again. So I sort of felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to be, you know, a constant kind of battle to be constantly doing something to promote it. But there were loads of fun stuff I did, like Goodreads giveaways. Um, yeah, I love doing things like that. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was a really great experience altogether. Okay, then, so after the generation, when did the agent come along? How, how did that happen? So I sent her um, the generation, but just before I self-published it, I did send it to a few agents. Um and I don't know why I wasn't more encouraged, really, because quite a few wrote back and said, you know, it's, you know, thanks for writing. It's not. I didn't get, you know, formula rejections. You know, I got a, some emails back, which, although they were rejections, weren't entirely negative and weren't auto auto responses. And she was one of the ones who wrote back. She wrote me, and she wrote me quite. She wrote me a lovely email, actually. She's she's really wonderful, great great lady, and. She said, you know, basically, this isn't really, the story's not really working for me, but, but I love your writing, and if you write anything else, please send it to me. And so, how many years later? Um, two years late, no, a year late, about a year later, um, I'd got this draft of The Memory Chamber, and she was 
first I kind of put a list together of agents and asked around, you know, who's looking for this kind of thing. Um, and I thought I'll send it, send it back to her. And yeah, I've got this lovely email saying, all right, I sent, I've read the first three chapters and um, I'd like to see the rest. So yeah, I'm still amazed that she kind of remembered me and um, yeah, just sort of true to her word that, you know, if you write something else, I'll look at it. And she did. Um, so I only had to write another book. <laughs> <laughs> when you started writing The Memory Chamber, where were you heading with it in your own mind? Were you going to self-publish it or did you always intend to put it around the traditional um, industry first? I was, after my experience with the generation, I was initially intending to self-publish it. Um, um, and... Yeah, you know, I was, I was excited about that. I thought, I know what I'm doing now. I've got one book out. I've kind of figured it all out. And I guess I just kept thinking about that email. And I thought, I think it's, a, it, 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 yeah, it's a strange one. It's about validation, I suppose, which which is very strange when your ultimate validation really is is your readers. But I sort of felt like, although I loved self-publishing and, and I do love the ethics of it and I see such huge possibilities I still felt I guess a lack of confidence I wanted someone to say yeah it's good enough which is what I mean about validation and actually many people would say it's your readers that say it's good enough Mm. (laughs) um and so that that kind of niggle in the back of my mind made me send it to her again and and that was that really I did send it to other agents um but but I ended up back with her so, yes, kind of surprised me a bit. <laughs> so for those of us in the cheap seats then, what happens when you get an agent? How does it work? Oh, gosh. When I got, well, I knew, so I sent her the three chapters and a synopsis. Um, and, and she got back to me pretty quickly, I would say, with, within a, probably within a week, saying that she'd like to request the full manuscript. So I sent that on, much, much excitement. Um, and then there was a bit of delay and I heard from her assistant who said, are we reading it? We just need a bit more time, really enjoying it. Um, and then, yeah, one day and popped the email into my inbox. Um, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, (laughs) and I just started reading the email and I could see where it was going. She was basically inviting me down to London to have a chat, um, about representation. And I just, I just couldn't read anymore of that email. I was leaping around the house. I had to get my husband to, um, come and read it for me because I just couldn't even sit still. Um, and then, yeah, so I think the following week, week popped down, popped down to London, um, had a chat with her. Um, and and her colleagues and like the foreign rights team and that kind of thing, and and yeah, went from there really. Um, yeah, you know there were other agents interested at the time, um, but I just felt like she was the right person to go with um, from the support she'd already given me, um, and it's a great agency. And when I met her, just she just kind of filled me with confidence and. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a pretty special time. <laughs> well, congratulations. I mean, that's that's wonderful. I think what you say about validation, too, is absolutely right. I think that whoever you are, you know, however you publish, I think that validation is, is actually such an important thing. Mm. Um, you know, so, I, and you know, I, I always say, yes, I'd love to have the validation. I've never got further than the, 
send us the rest. So I've got to the send us the rest bit, but then the, you know, the wah, wah, wah at, the, at, the end of, <laughs> at the end of that bit. So, you know, that's an, an incredible uh, achievement. And, uh, you know, I don't think you have to apologise for wanting the validation is what I'm saying. I think most of us do, uh, if, yeah. uh, if we're honest. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're back into contracts again, aren't we? Because if she's talking about taking you on and you've mentioned foreign rights there, we're getting into an even bigger legal labyrinth, potentially. What what happens around the legals at this point? Do you get advice on that? Do they support you? Yeah. Um, do you mean in the contracts with with a publisher? Uh, yeah, yes, because, you know, in theory, yeah. you know, we hear, particularly in self-publishing, for instance, people are always, I just was listening to Joanna Penn's podcast this morning, mm. uh, and, and, and um, I think it was Joanna Penn talking about an example of somebody who'd, um, you accidentally, oh, she was talking about The Handmaid's Tale, that's right, Margaret Atwood, and saying mm-hmm. that when Margaret Atwood sold the rights for the film, you know, the lovely series she's just had out uh, on, on uh, Netflix, on who, who yeah. Um, yeah. she got no money for that because um, <gasps> because she'd sold the rights. Um, no. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. But yeah, she sold them in 19 something. So she, obviously, she'll make some money from the books, but she made mm. no money from the series. And, and so oh that's why I describe it as a, you know, as a, as a labyrinth, because, you mm. know, you might sell the rights for something that hasn't even been invented yet, like the virtual reality, you know, 3D interactive, uh, whatever it is, gizmo, you know, widget that, that, that plays the book uh, live in your li- living room or whatever it is in 10 years' time. You don't know, you can't sort of see the future, really, so you don't know what the markets might be. True, yeah. Sorry, I haven't um, worried you now, have I? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but the, I mean, yeah, when you read the contract, I guess there are things, yeah, possibilities like that that really are probably glossed over, not glossed over, but skimmed over quite quickly in a paragraph that, you know, is all other rights or all electronic rights or yeah so um i think i think one thing i've learned about the publishing industry it's very it's kind of very um what's the word um everything is kind of in place so you know i was reassured oh this is a very standard contract this is you know i queried a couple of things oh you know that that's very standard um you know sometimes they might give you a slightly higher um author royalty on that but not in this case because of this or you know there's um but yeah but yes an agent was great and and certainly i don't know quite how you'd have to be pretty good at legalese to um to sort of manage that contract yourself to ensure that you were you were going to sign something that put you in a good position so your contract is with the agent and then is it right to say that it's the agent's job then to sell the book on to everybody else um i have a, yeah the, the, i have a very simple contract with my agent um um yeah it's very a very straightforward one the more complex one is the one that i have with my publisher um so there's a lot more to that um and then with other rights so um like tv rights that's that's got it's then got its own contract separately must feel very exciting talking about things like TV rights, film rights and things like that. <laughs> yeah, still sounds a bit silly, but yeah, <laughs> very exciting. And the other thing, of course, is that um, you've got territorial rights in, in there as well. So uh, you mentioned the states for the Audible book, but um, mm. presumably you've sold a lot of territorial rights around the world as well. Yeah, I've sold some. Um, we've sold to Germany, which is obviously a big, that's a big fiction market. Uh, we've sold to, um, I think, Serbia and um, oh, <laughs> a couple of others that slip my mind uh, at the moment. 
but um but yeah the foreign rights team is still working on on some more leads so we will we'll know more after the london book fair in april i think oh okay yes yes of course you've got all the fairs and things to go to haven't you yeah yeah so how much of that are you involved in after you've signed the contract do they you know like if they're selling the rights to serbia do you Mm. get a say in that or is that does that just happen as part of the contract um I just well, I was I signed the main contract um, with my with my UK and Commonwealth publisher, so that that was the UK and Commonwealth rights went to Quercus, and then I just knew that my agency, the foreign rights team, sort of they ferret away working on on deals for different people, um, and I think I thought I think I had it in my mind that all those publication dates would coincide, so it would come out in all these different languages the same day but but apparently that's not how it works um um so yeah i think the german edition's coming out about a month later and so on and so forth and yeah it's 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 kind of something i never thought about and i think possibly lots of authors don't think about um you know you think about a publishing deal but then these little extras these little foreign rights extras are, are great you just get you know i just got you know, you get the odd email and it's from someone in the foreign rights team saying, oh, you know, someone in someone in um, Brazil wants to wants to translate it into into Portuguese. You know, this is this is what they're offering. What do you think? Um, yeah. And they give you sort of outline the terms and they give you an idea of whether they think it's how good a deal it is, whether they think they can get a better one. And, yeah, it's quite um, probably more informal than I thought. Um, you might have a bit of back and forth on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's quite exciting. I'm looking forward to, I'm particularly looking forward to seeing, um, the foreign covers because obviously they kind of design their own covers. Um, and I think, I think all authors get pretty excited about the cover, so it'll be really nice to have more than one. (laughs) You don't have to reveal the numbers, but I do want to dig into the money side a little bit if we can. So just Mm -hmm. reveal whatever you're happy to reveal as much Mm -hmm. as possible, please. But um, we, I, I'm interested to know how the money works. Do you, do you get an advance and then you earn out? Is it the traditional you earn out your royalties and then you start to get a percentage on top of that? How, how does that stuff work? Yes. Um, so I signed a two-book deal with Quercus. Um, so we pitched um, a sequel to The Memory Chamber and we also um, we also pitched a completely standalone novel. Um, and, that, and that's actually the one they've commissioned, the standalone novel. So... So it's a two book deal. And so, yes, so I signed. So they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're jointly accounted, which is kind of confusing, but they're kind of taken as one deal, even though they're two separate books is is essentially what that means, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, um, so I got an advance on signature of that contract. And then I got an, I got another, you get the kind of the payments are split up. So then I got a payment on um, delivery of the final manuscript of the memory chamber. And then I will get another payment um, on the day it's published and so on and so forth for the next book. And then also, so also, so the memory chamber is coming out in hardcover, so I'll get a p- payment on that publication day. And then it's also six months later in the summer will be coming out. I think August will be coming out in paperback. So then I get another um, payment on paperback publication day. So 
um it's kind of split up quite nicely for you <laughs> um yeah it kind of that money goes directly to your agent uh, certainly in my case and they deduct their fee and then they they pay you um so that's how it works um so yeah and then yeah royalties um so that's all laid out so i have to earn out my advance um hopefully hopefully that will happen i have to earn out my advance before i start getting royalties so yeah so we will see on that and there's always quite yeah there's quite a lot to it really because there's there's all different royalty levels it's not a flat rate so it's a different level for the hardback and all the different editions of the hardback and the mass market paperback and the trade paperback and the ebook um so the royalties vary and they also shift in i think in terms of how many you've sold um so the first however many thousand copies you get a certain royalty and then after that you get a slightly different rate um i i mean <laughs> i'm definitely at the stage where i really 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 need to reread that that contract to know what what I've let myself in for. <laughs> <laughs> and do they do the publicity? I mean, are, are you going to be like, you know, doing a great publicity tour or something like that? I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to know what's normal as a debut author being traditionally published. It's hard to know. I'm constantly asking myself, like, is this is this good? Is this is this average? Like, what's average? What what would normally happen? How does this compare to this author or this book? And I'm increasingly not sure that there is a definitive answer to that. Um, certainly not, not one that I can find. Um, so yeah, so they have a whole, they have a marketing team and a publicity team um, and digital marketing. So yeah, they, they do quite a lot. Um and they so we've got a blog tour they've organized um and they've obviously sent loads of proofs had lots of proofs printed sent those out to kind of influencers so bloggers but bloggers are really big a really big driving force in getting they talk about this initial buzz getting the initial buzz before publication um so book book bloggers play a massive role in that um independent booksellers um even non non-independent booksellers waterstones booksellers they'll have sent proofs out to so there's a huge amount of work in terms in terms of that to get um to get buzz and to get reviews before before it's even published and that started a surprisingly long time ago so for a book published in february i think we started sending proofs out i think at the end of the summer previous to that so um so yeah certainly that would be something hard to do as an indie getting all those proof copies sent out i mean you could i think when i did it, i did send out ebooks um but i know not all bloggers like reading they'll only accept i think some of them are really quite inundated so they'll only accept um you know printed printed versions so that would have been something quite hard for me to do myself and and yeah <laughs> so we'll see um yeah and i've got kind of a few events they've put me in for coming up um and then i think you know they they carry on after publication kind of pitching you to appear on panels at conferences and literary festivals and things like that so it's as i, as I said at the beginning it's still really early days and it's it's so difficult to figure out you know what's what's happening what's going to happen what's likely to happen and 
whether those things are normal for you or average or yeah Mm. (laughs) it's a it's a learning curve and I'm not sure I'll ever get to the end of it (laughs) (laughs) well here's a a difficult question for you do you feel valued by the team and do you feel under pressure um I do feel very valued by Quirkus actually um I feel uh, yeah I think it's I've still got that kind of residual, you know, like being picked for the team at school, the sports team. You're like, oh, you picked me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I've still got that kind of residual excitement, I guess. I'm a bit like a puppy probably whenever I see them. um, But, yeah, they're a fantastic team, actually. And um, both both the the self-publishing industry and, and the traditional traditional publishing industry I've just found amazing I've just found it both both to be amazing world to be part of I've met just such great people and people that seem so genuinely interested um in in sort of putting something out into the world that they believe in and that's that's really inspirational to be part of and obviously that sounds naive because (laughs) clearly it's a money-making business and they want to make money, but it doesn't feel like that. I have to say it doesn't feel like that. Um, and, and that's, that's really great. And what was the second part of your question? Well, that comes to the pressure bit, doesn't it? That you yeah, know, they've pressure. got to make money. I said, so I'm, I'm wondering how yeah. pressured you feel because you're, you know, you're, you've got to perform, haven't you now? Um, yeah, it's interesting. You say that certainly I feel pressure, but I only really feel, pressure that I'm putting on myself um I'm sure that's a personal thing I'm sure other authors feel pressure from from their publishers or or whatever um I um I guess I kind of feel like I've done my bit in a way like my bit was writing the book and making it the best I can make it so that was that was my part of the deal And I sort of feel like, you know, obviously I'm going to do my best, you know, promoting it and going out there and talking to people about it um, and doing everything I can to support my publishers. But I kind of feel like, you know, they're the professionals and this is now their opportunity to to make the best of it they can. And so I kind of feel like the balance has shifted a bit. Um, I'm obviously on a two book deal, so I'm writing that second book now. So I'm under, I do feel a sense of time pressure on that. So um, it's slightly, slightly overdue (laughs) in getting to my editor, but it's, it's getting there. But uh, yeah, that is the main pressure I feel at the minute, but but that's, and that's a mixture of, yeah, self-imposed pressure, but also I haven't felt any pressure. Actually, my publishers have been very laid back about it. My editor's been very chilled out. Just kind of like, no, you know, it's all about the creative process. And, you know, you know, we've got time, got time to work on it. So don't worry. Um, so they're certainly not putting me under any pressure. But but yeah, I feel it myself. And um, yeah, I'm trying to kind of 
chill out from that because it's certainly not helpful for creativity <laughs> yes exactly um the other thing of course is that um I, hopefully this hasn't escaped you that when the memory chamber goes out your self-published book the generation is going to be perceived as part of uh, you know your armory mm-hmm. part, and um, you get 70 percent of that when that goes so i mean but hopefully because i think there's a strong argument for being hybrid these days because um, yeah you know, that, that, you know have you you've thought this through presumably mm. i remember it being a big topic um at the conferences I went to when I was when I was self-publishing about this hybrid author thing but yeah it's something I think about um um and the generation it's not something I haven't been actively promoting it for for quite a long time now because I've just been so busy trying to do this book and and the book after that um so when I like go and look oh there's been a review oh gosh you know some you know some people have downloaded it so yeah I'm really intrigued actually to see whether there's a knock-on effect on that. You know, we'll see how the memory chamber goes. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, hopefully um, some people read that and, and want to want to read the generation. So yeah, I'm wondering whether I should kind of give it a jazz and new cover or something. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, make sure you're building a mailing list off it. That's my advice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I am. I need to double check. I've just redone my website, so um, yeah, I'll have a go. <laughs> yeah, go, go for the mailing list if I were you. Mm. Skim, skim it off your traditional author as much mm. as you can. Don't don't tell them I told you that. But um, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going to send a lot of traffic your your way, uh, which is good. Now I must mm. ask you because as independent authors, you know, people don't usually get this experience. You get to hold a, uh, a hardback in your hand. How did that feel? Because they look nice. You put that on uh, Twitter, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I got yeah, I got them a couple of weeks ago. Um yeah, pretty yeah, pretty special really, quite strange. I'm just um I'm sitting in my living room at the minute looking up at sadly, this is tragic, I've put it on the mantelpiece. No, but celebrate I, it. Celebrate <laughs> it, it's fantastic. In fact I've put two on the mantelpiece so you can see the front cover and the back cover. Um although I'm I have to admit I'm getting slightly sick of sight of them, I have to get rid of them. Um but yeah, it's um yeah, it's quite big. And um, I actually, I actually love doing all the stuff on the inside. So I love um, writing, you know, the dedication and the acknowledgements and all that stuff, and, and seeing that in print. Um, and there's a, like a Q and A with with me in the back as well. So yeah, it's yeah, I love it actually. I was quite nervous. I, I love the cover, and um, I was quite um, nervous that I wouldn't. Um, I did have some input into it actually. But, uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with it, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> and with this two-book deal, then, and we're just on the, on the cusp of a bit of breakthrough, hopefully, with uh, traditional uh, publishing, what are your sort of aspirations? Where, where do you want this to go in your dreams now? Um, well, I've been saying I'd like to write a book every year, really, um, which isn't 100% going I, I might have to downgrade that to two years <laughs> I don't know um I'm not I'm not a great per I'm not a great one for kind of horizon gazing really um um and perhaps 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 I should be but um I feel like I've got enough to think about really with you know this book coming out and then I'm thinking about the next book um I've certainly got you know ideas for what I might write next um I think I'd like to stay in this kind of speculative fiction vein for for a little while longer but I've got other ideas as well and 
um, I just I just want to keep writing really, and, and you know we'll see we'll see we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah, everyone. I guess I don't. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't really have. I do have huge aspirations in that. Yes, you know I'd like you know the idea of seeing your book on a bestseller list um, would clearly be you know phenomenal. Um, but I kind of feel like kind of. I've got time. I feel like I'm just going to write what I want to write and allow myself that kind of freedom without, without being kind of driven by, by that vision and just, just kind of doing what I do and kind of just believing in it and just trying to improve my craft and reading all I can and and writing as much as I can. And I just really, I just really want to, I always said I want it to be what I do, like my fiction writing. I want that to be what I do, and I want that to be my career. So um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how, how the memory chamber does and um, and the book after that. And then, yeah, we'll have to just take it from there, I guess. Well, I want to um, congratulate you on an incredible achievement. It's absolutely wonderful. It's so lovely to, you know, have met you and to see you going on with this wonderful deal and following it all on social media because you post it all and we can all get a good look and live vicariously <laughs> through your author experiences. It's wonderful. So uh-huh. uh, congratulations. And I hope you do take some time, you know, to, to just enjoy it and uh, and celebrate it. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. It's, um, yeah, you have to, it's easy to get, um, sort of submerged in in the day-to-day stresses of it and the worries oh you know what if it's not this what if it's not going to sell what if um but but as you say absolutely i think anyone who's creative needs to you know congratulate themselves on on every achievement really and um and just just kind of carry on moving forward like that so yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.